Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, the first one of 2011. Happy New Year. Happy New Year from John Manuel and J.J. Cooper. We thank you for joining us, whether it's at BaseballAmerica.com or downloading us on iTunes or however you listen to the podcast. I want to remind you a couple things about Baseball America. You can join our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash baseballamerica. We're over 20,000 followers, thank you. which is exciting, so thank you very much for that. And, of course, you can always send us questions for the podcast, either at Facebook or on Twitter. And lastly, before we dive into podcast proper, the podcast, as usual, brought to you by MLB Network. And uh, this is a great time of year, whether to join us on our MLB Network offer at the Baseball America store, for issues for 4 bucks, or to buy the, the Almanac, which is out. The tape gun is in full effect back in the back. Mm, coming and the, soon. Coming soon, the Prospect Handbook, J.J., which we put to, finally to bed on Monday, the last vestiges of it, put to bed on Monday. The proofs were done, yeah. Final proofs done on Monday. The supplement finally done on Tuesday. And the supplement is if you order directly from Baseball America, either by calling 800-845-2726 or at the Baseball America online store, baseballamerica.com, you get, not only do you get 900 scouting reports, you get 930 scouting reports. You get a bonus 31st, 932? 31. 31. 31. Suyoshi Nishioka is in the appendix. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, so you get an extra 31st player for each of your organizations. So that all said, we, of course, like to look at the future here at Baseball America, and that's what the Prospect Handbook is all about. But this week, and we'll look at the future, we'll talk about the National League Central Top Ten Prospects, J.J. and I both, did an organization in the NL Central, and we'll talk about all six uh, top tens, at least in brief, in this podcast. But the big news of the week in baseball, even uh, you know, getting more play than the NFL playoffs in some quarters, was the Hall of Fame voting. And J.J. Burt Blylevin and Roberto Alomar in, nobody else in, but those two guys and Pat Gillick will be inducted this summer in Cooperstown. We're actually working on a book with the Hall of Fame, which we're very honored to be part of and look forward to finishing that up this month. So you got another book project, but this one uh, in conjunction with the Hall of Fame, and we're writing some bios for that, and that's that's a pretty neat project for us. Uh, but JJ, if you if you were to pick one of those two bios, which one would you rather write, the Be Home by Levin or the Roberto Alomar? Um, I'd probably say I, I wouldn't mind writing either one, but Alomar is the is the better player, I think. I, yep. mean, I don't think there's a, you know much of a doubt on that, and that's nothing against by Levin, but but Alomar, you know. This year, over 90%, and it was kind of like, apparently he got put in a one-year penalty box. And yeah. Then, and then now he's he's been released from that, and everyone goes, well, yes, he he was the uh, the the best second baseman of his generation, arguably. So, hey, here you go, Hall of Fame. Who are the other best second baseman that he's competing with there? I guess Lou Whitaker's on the ballot. But they were sort of Whitaker, contemporaries, yeah, but not I mean, a whole Whitaker's lot. Whitaker's kind of his career was ten tailing, years ahead of time, tailing off as Ryan Sandberg was a little ahead of Alomar, but they were but somewhat the contemporaries. I, you know, if you wanted to argue, I mean, you could very well argue that Alomar, like those are the like the best second baseman of the late '80s, early '90s, and Alomar was the best second baseman of the '90s. Here's the, here's his big competition in this era, I think, Jeff Kent. Yeah, Jeff Kent in the Hall of Fame players. is going to be. A pretty interesting debate. Uh, Burt Blylevin, to me, defines borderline Hall of Famer. Right. F- it took him 15 years, justifiably so. I think he's not a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Obviously, he's in now. Um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of our listeners and readers realize that uh, Rich Letterer and BaseballAnalyst.com, that blog, has done a lot to uh, has done a lot for Burt Blylevin's cause. Blylevin has named Rich Letterer. In a couple of interviews, just saying, you know, that that, that really helped his case, and it certainly did. Uh, you, you know, did you feel in the end, by at the end of the day, that Burt Blylevin deserved to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I did. But at the same time, it's one of those. I love. There's a lot of outrage that seems like the Hall of Fame always generates outrage. And, yeah. And let's say this to one thing to credit. There is no other Hall of Fame out there. Yeah. That matters like the Baseball Hall of Fame does. There's not that same outrage because the, the only time you ever hear about the Basketball Hall of Fame is when someone goofs during the speech, like Michael right. Jordan. <laughs> but beyond that, like you can't. I mean, I don't think anyone could off the top of their head go, "Hey, you know, last year, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame, who was inducted?" Now, have you ever been to Co- to uh, Canton, by the I, way? I have been to Canton. I've not okay. been to Cooperstown yet. Um, you haven't been to Cooperstown, no, even know. though your fantasy team was Cooperstown bound. I know, I know. I know. Come on! I know. I've been I to Coop- been I up to New York very often. I haven't been to Cooperstown in a long time. It, I went in 1998, uh, which was a good year to go, and then I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, which is phenomenal, to be honest with you. Even though it's in the basement of a mall, part of it's in the basement of a mall. 
the rest of it is in this former bank building, which is just it's a tremendous building and a great setup of the plaques. The best way to explain this is is back in my more traveling days when I you know was not married with kids. Which yes. You don't you don't just go off on jaunts. Correct. I had friends from college who lived in Ohio, so ah. it was easy to make a trip there. I did not have any friends who lived in New York to where I could... You didn't know Matt Eddy yet. No, did not but, know Matt Eddy yet. So. But, but uh, well, I, I think we both agree that like the Hall of Fame isn't harmed by having Burt Blylevin in, but it wouldn't have been harmed by his exclusion right, and, either. And that's the thing is, is I was going to say, there's a lot of outrage that goes along with the Hall of Fame every year, it seems like. And really, one of the things that come, comes down to is, is that there are guys who are borderline Hall of Famers and... I do think it's fair to say that you can't get too upset one way or the other. Like, Burt Blylevin straddles that line. Yeah, you're right. You he's, know, stra- and, he's right on that line for me. And, you know, is he above it and Jack Morris below it? Well, yeah, maybe. But at the same time, it's one of those questions also, the Hall of Fame is different for different people. Some people want a an expansive Hall of Fame. Some right. people want a very compact Hall of Fame that's the true elite of the elite. You know, and that so. and those people, that latter group, are SOL, JJ, because that Hall of Fame doesn't exist already. It never did. Once the Veterans <laughs> Committee said, hey, we're exactly. going to get Indian. If you played baseball in 1930, we're going to try to get you in because, look, you hit 300. That's it. And if someone wants to try to start their own museum – or their own different Hall of Fame with a different name and make it the Inner Circle Hall of Fame Museum, you know, be our guest. No one's stopping you. But the the Hall of Fame, I'll paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld as I did on a uh, sports talk show yesterday. You you go to the the, the BBWA goes out with the Hall of Fame that they've got, not the Hall of Fame they want. It's just that that is the the Hall of Fame already has a lot of guys in it who don't deserve to be in there. And most of them were elected by the veterans, not the writers. And go beyond that. The reality of it is, is that if you want that elite, elite Hall of Fame, financially that doesn't work. The Baseball I Hall agree. of Fame wants people to be inducted because if you announce, hey, this year we're announcing we're inducting Pat Gillick right. and no one else, no one's coming to the Hall of Fame for that. Nothing against Pat Gillick, but there's a whole lot less people coming for that than, you know, hey, I grew up as a fan of Burt Blylevin or of Roberto no, absolutely. You know, And so you – the, ba- the Baseball Hall of Fame wants people to be elected to the Hall of Fame. It's not something where you, you know, they... They want a big hall. They don't not, want yeah, a small it's hall. It's not crafted to say, hey, every four or five years we will bring in this player who does rank in the pantheon of the greatest 25 players of all time. Right. Now, they they definitely are going to, uh, you know, we'll see how many Torontonians... Is that how you say it? I should have asked, asked Alexis Brudnicki while she was here. But uh, you have, you're going to have Gillick and Alomar, obviously, both uh, very tied into the Blue Jays. Uh, and those back-to-back World Series are going to be are going to be there this year. And then I think a lot of Twins fans are going to go for Blylevin since he's very closely associated with them from their from his time playing for the Twins and also now as a broadcaster. And so we have to move on to the the bigger topic though, which yeah, is which is who didn't get in, who didn't get vo- in, what votes they they did or didn't get. JJ, uh, now you're right. I mean, I, I guess I, I wasn't shocked that no one else got in. Um, I, I almost want to go. Let's 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 talk about the non-steroid guys first. But the steroid era is clearly. The biggest elephant in the in the Hall of Fame room, Barry Larkin. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, and, and you know what? He so. should be a Hall of Famer. He's, I agree. He was again when we're talking about in the pre the Trinity shortstop yep. era. You know, pre Jeter and Nomar uh, uh, A Rod, and, and now Nomar still gets lumped in with that, but doesn't deserve to be. You know, obviously not in the same group now, but he was at the time. Before that, Barry Larkin was the best shortstop in baseball. Right. I mean, and, and there wasn't really and – and that was one of those that there wasn't I, a debate. I do wonder why Barry Larkin, 62%, and Alan Trammell, 24%. 24%. Don't quite get that. You know, Alan Trammell had a 110 OPS plus for his career in an era when shortstops didn't do that that often. No one I think he suffers in comparison to Cal Ripken and to Robin Yount, even though he was a pretty similar player to those guys and was – and to me, more of a Hall of Famer than Jack Morris from that 84 Tigers team, from that same contemporary Tigers era. But uh, I'm not sure how – I'm not a huge – like, Al, again, I don't think the Hall of Fame is wounded without Alan Trammell, but I don't see how he's so less deserving than, than uh, Barry Larkin. But let me ask you, Kate. You know, and you met, you brought up Jack Morris. You, Ed, I'm a no. I'm a strong no I mean Jack Morris. I actually feel the Hall of Fame would be worse off with him in it. And – 
you know, I feel like he shouldn't be in. I, I don't think I would, you know, I, I don't think he would necessarily even be the worst guy in the Hall of Fame if he got in because, again, he'd be, are, he'd be in the bottom 10%. But he, would, but he would, yes, he's he would not be. He'd be like in the bottom 5%. He, the, the best way is it's like you can go into the ERA and all that, and that's all valid points, but go beyond that. And I, I think the point that you've been making around the office is, is that he wasn't at the time as well regarded as some people almost want to make him out to be now. It doesn't seem that way. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't cover. <laughs> I was 12 in right. 1984. I just remember when you, you know, and I remember reading about when you read about the Tigers in the mid 80s. Yeah, you talked about Jack Morris. You read about it, but you just as often talked about Whitaker and Trammell's identity of the team. And the best player on the team was Kirk Gibson. The guy that Sparky Anderson always talked about was Kirk Gibson. And the 84 team, they did have a Cy Young Award winner and an MVP. They're both Xavier Hernandez, the not Xavier Hernandez, Guillermo, uh, Guillermo Hernandez. Thank you, Xavier Hernandez. That's funny. Yeah. Guillermo uh, Hernandez, the you left-handed you reliever. Your Bulls, uh, you know. I do, but but I mean, who's their left-handed reliever? It wasn't Jack Morris. I mean, it just it's just a lot, I think a lot of revisionist although, history. I was gonna say that, although with, as far as Cy Young and all the time, I think if you read Cy Young balloting now, it it may work out a little differently. Not that Jack Morris would have won but it, but, but that's not the point. We're not yeah. redoing it now. Yeah. We're talking about how right, he then. was viewed at the time. Right. I don't think he was thought of as the Hall of Famer on that team at the time. Even Lance Parrish seemed like he was just as much a part of the identity of that club. And Daryl Evans, you want to talk about an underrated Tiger. Daryl Evans, one of the big, more underrated players of all time, uh, was a big part of those teams as well. So, I mean, uh, to me, I, Jack Morris, he doesn't sniff Hall of Fame for me. He was a really good player, but he's not even as good as guys like Bly Levin or Don Sutton who are often derided as just guys who just aggregated. But one of the things they aggregated was a lot of strikeouts. Well, they didn't just stay out there and put up the 390 ERA. Like, I'm, just, I'm very strongly against Jack Morris. I just don't think he was good enough. And, and, and there is something to be said, by the way, as far as the guys who aggregate their way to the uh, Hall of Fame. There's something to be said for that because to do that, I'm not saying that that's you know, right. always justifiable, but at the same time, to do that, what you are is you are a player who was considered – quality enough to be a starter for 20-plus years. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being an aggregator as long as you aggregate a lot. <laughs> he, and didn't even, he didn't even aggregate as much as, again, the guys that he's frequently compared to, Sutton and uh, you know Sutton and Blylovin. I mean, to me, the, the ERA is one part of it. He just is not a big strikeout guy in the black numbers. He just really I mean, fails at the black number the, test. The, the best way I put it is, is I mean, you, you don't – ERA isn't everything, but at the same time when you're talking about a guy in the era that he pitched who never had an ERA under three. Yeah. That's, that's – Hard to do. That's hard to, that's hard to, you know, to say, hey, this guy was the, the best. Who of the guys – let's try to get to the steroid part in a minute. But of the guys who didn't get in, J.J., who would you like to see in non-steroid uh, accusation category? Um, Barry Larkin, I mean, I think we both agree, yep. like I said, he's going to get in. I agree. The the other guy, and you know, and I think he seems like he, he's going to be the next Burt Blyleven, I really do think, is, is Tim Raines. I like, agree. But the thing about it is, is growing up as we both did in the 80s yep. and loving baseball through that throughout yep. the 80s, Tim Raines, okay, Ricky Henderson was, I'm on a podcast here, so imagine my hand going up high, <laughs> and then imagine my hand going up a little bit lower than that. Yeah. During the 80s. Tim Raines wasn't Ricky Henderson because Ricky Henderson is one of the you know Ricky Henderson's greatest leader hitter of all time. And, but, well, and 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 before Barry Bonds, you would have made an argument if you wanted to make say Ricky Henderson was the second best left fielder of all time or third best with Williams and Musial, you would have you would have put him in that argument. But Tim Raines was a you know he wasn't that that guy, but he was he was the best leadoff hitter type player in the National League you know, throughout most of that stretch. And I always, with him, I mean, it's maybe a little bit unfair to say this, but I do feel like that his career was somewhat, if you want to say wounded, but the collusion era really hit him hard. I agree. You know, he was was almost exhibit A of collusion because when he hit free agency, he happened to hit free agency at the point where, you know, no one was allowed to sign, you know, their owners agreed that no one was going to sign anyone. I mean, Jack Morris was also a victim of collusion as far as, you know, they were both free agents that offseason, as was Andre Dawson, but to me... But, but, I mean, Reigns missed time because of that, Yeah, he missed the whole first month of the 87 season, and then he came back on national TV against the Mets and had a monster game to start that year. The other thing I think that that hurts Reigns' case is that his best work, by far, was then in Montreal, and I was on a radio show in uh, Calgary the other day, 
Uh, I think it's 960 The Fan. I'm on there a decent amount. And the Calgary has just wanted to ask me about the Blue Jays, Blue Jays, the Blue Jays. And I mentioned Tim Raines and Larry Walker. And where I think that Tim Raines and Larry Walker's cases are hurt by the fact that when they were young and at their best health-wise, they both were exposed, and I think they were under the radar big time as exposed. And I think it hurt them a lot more than it hurt Robbie Alomar to be a Blue Jay. But the argument I will make, I'll, I'll play both sides of the fence here. The argument I'll make against Reigns is that Reigns' career was like a better version of Dale Murphy's career in some ways, and that yeah. his peak early was really, really good. Right, and then he settled into being just a decent player. Right. I mean, a good player, right. not but, a great player. But you basically look at, you know, from pretty much like age 30 on, he was he was a guy, you know, he was solid. I mean, but he wasn't he wasn't that same spectacular spectacular player that he was. And part of that also was is that hey, he lived through the start of the steroid era right. and his style of play became less, you know. Well, he and also he was really really good in the 80s. He was a great player in the 80s. He was just good in the 90s. Right. I mean, when he went to the White Sox, he had one very good year with the White but Sox. He was, he, was largely not, he was seen as a disappointment right. when he went to the, the White Sox. He was not the guy that he was in Montreal. wasn't the game changer. There was also kind of like the little funky period where he just wanted to call me Rock. Right. Don't call me Tim. You know, I don't, I mean, I mean, that whole is. thing colors it for me. I think a lot of people think of him as like, yeah, he was great with the Expos, but it didn't last long enough. He was just okay with the White Sox, and then he was a role player but, with the Yankees. And, and I'll admit, I'll, I'll bring my personal bias into it. I grew up in Georgia in the 80s, so, I mean, I got to see Del Murphy. You know, I guess you, pretty much wherever you were, you got to see Del Murphy play a lot right. if you wanted to because right. he was on TBS all the time. But if you say, you know, was Reigns' peak as good as Murphy's? No, I don't. I think Murphy's peak was better. I will say Reigns. It was shorter then. It was shorter, and Reigns', dis, Reigns decline was more gradual than Murphy's. But I, I agree with you there as well, and I also think that Murphy gets points for being in center field. For me, I'd take Dale Murphy over Jim Rice, who got in two years ago. Right. Again, I don't think the, I don't think the, the, the Hall of Fame is going to be a, a worse place if Dale Murphy never makes it, and he's never going to make it. But I, I could see Dale – if Dale Murphy made the Hall of Fame, I, I'd be fine with it. I'm with you. To me, the three guys who didn't get in yet, who aren't related to steroids at all, who I, I think deserve to be in the most, are Barry Larkin – Alan Trammell and, and Tim Raines. I think Trammell, it just the more you read about it, the harder it is to find shortstops to put up his kind of offensive numbers. And he was a key player on winning teams. That's the best way to put it like is to, if you erase from your memory the last 30, 25 years of baseball, and then, you know, Alan Trammell was the kind of guy that you didn't see for like the previous 30 years before him. Yeah, he was rare. He was a great defender who could really hit. Uh, that's hard to find at uh, shortstop. I was just a good defender. I mean, it's like he won, piled up the gold gloves. Now, but the elephant in the room is yeah, the steroids, guys, J.J. I mean, uh, um, Which quite clearly, hey, if you have a – if there is a hint of steroids in your background, it's, it, it is very hard to get in right now. So Jeff Bagwell, Bagwell 41.7%. I mean, the – there's I no way. To, I, I don't know if I'd call it character assassination. I don't know if I'd call it hypocrisy. I, I definitely would say it was lame. The, the, all the articles written about here's my votes and here's what I did with Bagwell. He's never been linked to it. He's just right. a suspect basically, guy. He, basically, because I don't. I think we both agree. If you said we're not talking, you know, that just take the ster- we erase steroids from the game right. and say okay, just on the basis of what he did. Jeff Bagwell's a Hall of Famer, right? I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's an easy Hall of Famer. I mean, he doesn't have 500 home runs, so maybe for some guys. He doesn't have 3,000 hits and 500 home runs like Rafael Palmeiro does. Um, so maybe he's not as obvious in that way as Palmeiro, but he was clearly a better player, but also, and a he more also dominant played, player. And he also played, you know. Most of his career in the Astros. Right, which is death That's, that's the reason why he doesn't have 500 home runs. Right. But, I mean, on the on the bigger subject, like, you, you call it character assassination, there is a, pro- a pretty big issue here, which is it's not just if you tested positive for steroids. It's if you looked the wrong way, basically. It's, it's, it's at this point, and, I, you know, again, I think we have some disagreements here as far as, to me, it becomes so complicated to where you draw that line, you know, because you're hearing guys say, you know, we, we were watching on MLB Network, they're having right. a discussion, and it's like, and John, the, the argument John was, Heyman was the one making the point. Was making the point, hey, I'll vote a guy in if he was a Hall of Famer before he used steroids. I think he was specifically talking about Barry Bonds. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, think that was the, I, mean, I don't even think he, meant he was including Clemens in there, although he, you could he, include he, No, Clemens. actually, he used the word Clemens. He did. Oh, he said Clemens. Bonds okay. and Clemens. For me, it's harder to know when Clemens started to use, although it seems like the answer is Toronto. You know? Right. 
Uh, I, I'll, do, I'll spare us the yes. Batgirl Toronto reference. By the way, we're still Batgirl. If you're out there, we still oh, listen. she's tweeting. Yeah, she's on Twitter. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, no, we still do love 05. We still sing it occasionally. I would love to dig up the 05. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I will buy it for Bonds and Clemens. I think they're unique cases. Or they were Hall of Famers before they used. I, I think so. Um, you know, Clemens left the Red Sox at 190-some victories. He was clearly the best pitcher of his era um, already and had a 20-strikeout game 10 years apart, 86 and 96, but single single game record. I think even if he had just, like, had a tragic blimp accident right then, he would have gone to the Hall of Fame. That's 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 my point. Right. And the same thing with Bond. If he had a tragic blimp accident after 1998, he would have gotten in the Hall of Fame just based on that career. But that's but, also a matter of timing in that right. their career happened to start in 1987, not 1995. No, I, I understand if, that. Because if, if their career started in 95, their entire career it's would be under suspicion. It is pretty arbitrary. There's no doubt. It's like, hey, There's I'm no sorry, but you started in 19 – you broke in in 96, I, and I, so – I don't dispute that it's arbitrary. And so what my thing is is that I, I guess I'm probably – I'm more on the side of – and this is not going to happen. I know this is not going to happen, but – I, maybe I'm on the extreme on this, but you know what? Let's redo the how we, you know, the the order, you know, what the orders are given to voters. Yeah, that's the Jason Stark position. But Jason's Scott. Especially because the point is is to be made. This has been used in the past. You know, it it's a shifting it's a shifting uh, rule. Not yeah. not not in that the rule's the same, but Ty Cobb first ballot. Right. No problem. Yeah. Is Ty Cobb more moral than the players who are now, you know, being held out? Right. I mean, yes, he did not use steroids. Steroids I'm had not been invented, but at the same time. Yeah, thankfully we don't have the same uh, – we don't make the same judgments we made in the 1930s. And thankfully I'm sure there's some we make worse than with then. But, you know, but one thing is, is that are we going to – you know, we don't know that we're going to look back 50 years from now and right. go, you know, people shrug shrugs. What I'm just saying what is – What were they that, thinking back then? Right. No, exactly. But no, what right. I'm saying is, is that – I you know maybe make the clause much more simple, which is if baseball, if you are eligible to work in baseball, yeah. Hey, look at uh, look at what you did, and now now judge, judge also on, judge on the, on the judge, body of work. Now in judge the on the body of work. Now I'll say this body of work does you know that still doesn't mean that you throw everything out. Dick Allen, a great player, but you could throw in like. If you are disruptive to a team... Yeah, the fact that he lived up to his first name made him not be a Hall of Fame right. player. Right. If you are disruptive to your team, you can that that can be a part of it. You know, I if agree. you want to say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to vote for Jeff Kent because I don't think that Jeff Kent was a good teammate or whatever. Right. I don't... You can argue that point in one you way or another. You can argue that all you want, Matt Kemp. Right. But, <laughs> but that being said, like, that still gets all wrapped in there because that's judging you on what you did in baseball. Right. At the same time, though... But getting rid of we the don't phrase character of the player. Right, because I'm, I'm for that. Jeff Idelson's against it. Right, uh, and he and, matters and he, a little bit more. He than He matters my more than we do. But but my thing is just if you did that, what you do? I mean, because reality is, is we now have a Hall of Fame that, for the first time, I mean, be- before all this, there have been two players who were clearly Hall of Famers who've been held out. Yeah, and they're held out for something that. You can argue is a you know justifiable reason, which is if you bet on the game that's right. been gr- drawn as a black line, yep. and everyone Joe, else at least since, has, has managed to stay on the other side of that line or at least not get caught. Yeah, since Joe Jackson, I mean, like, the, well, I mean, again, Ty Cobb is the exception yes. to what you're talking about, interest speaker. But yes, in general, in general, if the commissioner's office said you gambled and you're busted on it, and we're 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 enacting punishment on you. You, don't, you also don't get in the Hall of Fame. Right, Joe but Jackson, beyond that, Rose. but beyond that, if you were the one of the the elite, you got in. Yeah. And nowadays, like, there's no way not. that you can say there are players who are being told, no, you're not a Hall of Famer, and if there's no way that if you looked at their body of work, baseball-wise, that you could say that. I think I do think Bagwell eventually is going to get in. Starting at 41.7%, I think is enough. I think he's going to wind up getting in. I don't think. I think it's curtains for Mark McGuire. I mean, definitely curtains for Rafael Palmeiro, Juan Gonzalez. I think this portends ill for Ivan Rodriguez. No. I think this is an ill wind. What do you think happens eventually to Bonds and Clemens? Do you think those guys are going to I mean, that's what in? I was going to say. If Barry Bonds doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. He's going to go on a rampage and destroy the whole city of Cooperstown. <laughs> but Bonds smash. <laughs> But if Barry Bonds doesn't get in the Hall of Fame, then Actually, Roger that would Clemens. Be Clemens. Clemens but, will throw a broken bat at the But if Bonds right? and Clemens don't get in, 
mean, you you do reach a point where what you are saying is is hey, our Hall of Fame is it's not the best players in baseball. Yeah. It's the best players as we have chosen, you know, who also, you know, get good conduct, good con- good conduct badges. I mean, and you can have it that way if you want. Yeah. But Oof. that's but, not the Hall of Fame. But Barry Bonds. It's not going to be a successful Hall of Fame museum or tourist attraction, I mean, which is the whole point. But Barry Bonds is one of, I mean, steroids or not, Barry Bonds is the best player of the last, you know, best position player of the last 40, 50 years. Yeah, I'm definitely in the Bob Co- Bob Costas, uh, let them all in, put on their plaque. And I even agree about, I even think that about Joe Jackson, uh, Shoeless Joe, and, and Pete Rose as well. Let them in, put on their plaque, but gambled on baseball. No, again, Barry you Bonds, you know, would never admitted it, but HGH user, possible steroid user, the, cle- the cream, the clear, whatever it was. You know Roger Clemens. Yeah, you know, put it all on there. Now, Even Andy Pettit, if you want to put Andy Pettit in there. And the thing I don't. And the thing I'll say is, is that now go that beyond, like you mentioned Juan Gonzalez and all. At the same time, if you even did that, we still have some very interesting debates to go on with the Hall of Fame because I agree. The offensive numbers were so inflated like, for a stretch of time. Like, is Juan Gonzalez Hall of Famer? My personal thought is probably not. Mark McGuire's borderline, even with 583 home runs. Mark McGuire's career basically is very similar to that of Dave Kingman. Both went to USC <laughs> as pitchers and hitters. Both played in the Alaska League and blossomed as hitters there. That, of course, has no relevance in them yeah. being similar big leaguers, but it is a nice coincidence. And then, you know, they both had a lot of home runs, struck out a lot. McGuire walked more. You know, he wasn't as much but of a jerk but you know as what? Kingman. And I was going to say, but, but by the end of his career, McGuire walked more, but his walks were not the same as – that's not the same as Tim Raines walking because – Oh, sure. Once McGuire Absolutely. reached first base, Thank he was you. staying on first until he. You know. All walks are not created equal. I mean, you look at this is Juan Gonzalez, uh, thanks to BaseballReference.com. He had 50 home runs once, oh, no, 50 doubles once. He had uh, led the league in home runs twice. 434 career home runs in the 90s. I'm not sure. I don't that think gets he's. Like I said, my my initial thought is just I just do not think of him as a. You you know, and he won two. You know, he won two MVPs. I mean, that's so you could argue, but. You know, I just don't think of him as a Hall of Famer. His career is a lot like Dale Murphy's to mine, without a little bit better offense, but that's because of the era. Not as much defensive value. Really, an inglorious end of the career on the field. And you know, you want a character, Dale Murphy, uh, worlds ahead of uh, uh, worlds ahead of Juan Gonzalez. The one steroid guy who I think I treated really shabbily uh, was Kevin Brown for me, JJ. I know he was in the, he was in the Mitchell Report. And he uh, was not the favorite of any writer because he was not a good interview and seems to revel of being a jerk, the turd of the punch bowl. But all that said, I think Kevin Brown's as good or better a pitcher than Burt Blylevin. Kevin Brown was a true ace. I mean, yeah. like he was Kevin the number Brown, one on back-to-back World Series teams. Right. Kevin Brown was the guy. Yeah, Marlins who, and Padres. Kevin Brown was the guy who would go out there in game, you know, in the big game, in the you know, in the regular season or the playoffs. And you knew if he was on, he, they were going to win. The amazing part about Kevin Brown, too, since then I looked up a little bit more about Kevin Brown. You know, he signed that contract with the Dodgers, which is which roundly is seen as one of the worst contracts ever. You know, his first four, the first right. five years of that contract, four of those five years, he was outstanding. Right. He wasn't yeah, the only thing he got hung good. on. The only thing that got hung up on was is that you know it was in UK. He got the money for doing this, but it was. Scott Boris presented it as, oh, no, no, he'll be fine throughout the life of this contract. Right, which he wasn't. He but wasn't. Through the, through the first you know five years, yeah. he had returned. He'd given you quite a good ROI in, the first, in four of those first five right. years. And hey, then he got traded to the Yankees, and it all fell apart. But, hey, but the other thing with that is just like, like that happens. The, you know, the Nationals yes. know right now. If, if the Nationals are expecting that Jason Worth is going to be productive for the life of this contract, right. they're probably a little crazy. I think, you know, but I, you're, I, what you're hoping is is that you don't get the Soriano situation where the Cubs sign Soriano, knowing yeah. by year eight of this he may not be the player we want to be putting <laughs> out eight. there. But by year three, by year three they're like, going, oh man, five more years. Yeah, that's where we are. Well, then, speaking of the Cubs, National League Central top ten is the real reason most people subscribe to this podcast. But I feel like we can't ignore the the Hall of Fame stuff. I'm actually surprised how much we agreed on that stuff, but. Uh, but, J.J., the, your, your Cincinnati Reds, one of the organizations that you do, right up there with the Chicago Cubs for best farm system in this division. I, I think we have an agreement on the worst. I think we do. <laughs> I and don't the think Milwaukee those are Brewers the are the worst. And it's not, so, Houston Astros fans, congratulations. You're, you're no out of the basement. Have, you're out of the basement. For back to back, the last three years, 
prior to this one, the Astros farm system been ranked 30, 30, and 29. So and 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 I will say this. We've got them at 26 this. in the latest hand. I will say this, and if you look back at hindsight, there's you know there are times we look back and go, hey, that team maybe was a little bit. They were 30. No, with they the were bullet. 30. They, you know, they were 30 each of the last couple of years. So. You know, and if you don't sign, you know, if you just don't sign draft picks, that's that's what's going to happen. But you don't sign draft picks, and you're not aggressive in Latin America. Put um, those together, and you've got a combo. That's it. And the thing is, the Astros this year signed the biggest contract they ever did in the draft with Delano DeShields Jr. The second largest contract they've ever given to a pitcher for Mike Fultonavich. I forget whose contract is higher, bonus-wise. And then uh, the biggest contract in bonus in, in club history to Ariel Ovando uh, out of uh, the Dominican Republic. So this year they put their money where their mouth is. They spent more. I don't, I don't think it's coincidental, J.J., that they're doing that on the way out for Drayton McLean, their owner. I think Drayton McLean wanted the focus, out, especially after 2004, 2005, when they won, they had the playoff success they had, won a pennant. I think the focus was 100% on the major league team for Drayton McLean. They never went over slot after the Troy Patton uh, debacle. But, and, and it's funny, you've seen you this go. happen a couple of times. Drew Stubbs. You've seen this debacle. happen a couple of times in baseball, where a team, ha- you know, with the owner's like, hey, we want to get them one more, you know, yep. we want to get them a, a ring. And usually what ends up happening is, is you don't get the you ring, but you, but you, you really leave the system in a, in a really scary shape. Correct. Or you had, uh, well, it wasn't even the owner, but it was John Sherholtz on the way out in Atlanta. Must win one more. Take, take Elvis Andrews and Nathalie Feliz. I don't care. You know, you, you definitely, right. at the end of those 10 years, you get a lot of those. Uh, which, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Reds. We just talked a little bit about the Astros. Uh, the Astros, uh, very young farm system, some athleticism. Improving. It is improving, but it's baby steps. Good ways to go. I think it's baby steps. But Jordan Lyles is a really nice prospect. Uh, I don't think he's a future ace, but I think he's a future number two or three. Uh, and number two, if everything works out, more likely a number right. three. And, and do remember, like, when we even say that this guy could be a future number two, that's, that's saying something. Lofty. That's pretty lofty, and that also doesn't mean don't pencil him in as your number two start. That means he has the potential to do that. Yep. If we have three guys who have the potential to be a number two, and one of them turns out to be a number two, yep. that's he, pretty good because there's not that many number twos out there. He's fascinating because he has the perfect projectable frame and a good delivery, but he already is kind of maxed out with his delivery. It's not like he throws so hard that he's max effort, but like I wrote in there, he, he gets really good extension out front. He's got a really long stride. He releases the ball out front. Yeah, there's nothing mechanically you can really do to make him throw harder. Right, he's, he is what he is. He's gonna. I, I think he's gonna fill out a little bit more physically, but I still don't think he's gonna throw a whole lot harder. Maybe a tick or two, but it's really gonna be an average fastball in terms of velocity with command and some life. The secondary stuff is what makes him start out. And he's kind of like the anti-Roldis Chapman, is what we're saying here. <laughs> yeah, now, I was gonna say before we get to this, I was gonna say let, before we get to, I think we both agree, Cubs and Reds will debate whether those which front. one are at the front. They are at the front. Okay, Brewers are the back end, and I think we both – the best way we can say with the Brewers is is that this is, if you're going to gut a farm system, this is the reason they gut it. Yeah, I mean, they traded three guys who would have been in their top five prospects, I guess it was, with you know, Brett Lowry, Jake Odorizzi, and uh, Jeremy Jeffress. So and, uh, that, and leaves you, that leaves you with guys like you know, Scooter Jeanette and Kentrell Davis that don't profile. Uh, you know, the one guy the, – the, actually, the guys I like best in their top ten are guys that Tom Hoddercourt ranked ninth and tenth, Kyle Heckathorn and Amori Rivas. Amori Rivas doesn't have great numbers, and he's a little older, but he's got good stuff. Uh, his fastball is 92 to 95, but it's fairly straight. Pretty decent changeup, pretty decent slider, you know, some pitchability. Uh, I, I like Amori Rivas all right, and I like Kyle Heckathorn. A lot of ground balls, a lot of you know, good sinker baller. Uh, those guys are uh, – I would, I would have ranked them higher myself, but, you know, Tom knows that system better than I do. Now, okay – how would you slot it? You've all, you know, before you know, said we've got Cubs and Reds at the top, Cardinals and Pirates. I just don't like the Pirates approach, so I would say the Cardinals are better than the Pirates, and that's. I just you know actually, I probably can't say that because the Pirates have a little bit more say, talent. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Pirates. The there. Pirates have more talent, but I really don't. Do I trust them to bring the, the talent out? Honestly, I don't, JJ. I just I just don't. I'm actually going to go. I'm going to stick with them and say Cardinals, for two big reasons. Shelby Miller, and they do have a lot of hard-throwing arms. I do like their arms. That's the strength of the Pirates. And I know there's Jamison Tyone. Who would you rather have, Shelby Miller or Jamison Tyone? I probably got it now going to go Shelby Miller just because yeah, I always will go a guy who, like, if you're talking about two very similar guys, one's yep. done it in pro ball, one's not. 
Correct. I mean, although I don't think there's a big difference. There's a big, you know, there's those guys, when you do gap. our top 100, there's not going to be a huge gap between those two. I think you're right. But I would take, I would give the edge to Shelby Miller. This Carlos Martinez joker, the Dominican right-hander the Cardinals signed, he sounds really, really, really intriguing. 96 to 99 mile an hour fastball and short stints. Tyrell Jenkins, one of the premier athletes in the draft. Uh, Seth Blair, Jordan Swaggerty, Joe Kelly. To a lesser extent, Lance Lynn. I've never been a big Lance Lynn guy. So I like their pitching. I like the Cardinals pitching all right. Not a whole lot going on there position player-wise other than Zach Cox. But uh, I just I really don't like the Pirates' 2010 draft. I just – I went very heavy on, 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 right, on, on young right-handers. Yeah, I mean, just, that was just two one-note. I just – I just don't like it. No, sir, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> That's uh, where I stand the, on those the, the problem with the Pirates, they, they went very high, very heavy on young right-handers, which, hey – the strength of their the strength of the their young talent that they've graduated is position players. Right. That being said, the problem though is is that there's this is not a hey these guys are ready now right. and then the next wave you know okay our pitching is a year behind. Right. We're talking pitchers who are three and four years away. Right. And so by the time that the pitching gets there, the position players you know the McCutcheons the you know the uh, Pedro, Pedro Alvarez's Alvarez. and all they're gonna be in the middle of arbi- their arbitration years, and by the time that the young pitching, if it all works out, gets up there and establishes itself, it's going to be at that point where you go, okay, Pedro Alvarez is heading into his sixth year, yeah, and you got to decide, are you going to be able to re-up him, or are you going to trade him away? I agree, and I also think that just looking at their entire top 30, for a team that's been as bad as they've been for 17 years, it's pretty embarrassing, top 30. I mean, it's not the worst top 30 out there, but... The Royals have been bad for a long time, and they've they've got a top thirty to prove it. You know, <laughs> they've got draft pick after draft pick after draft pick. Well, high draft. They spent a lot of money. So these guys, but it's just not a it's just not an impressive top thirty. It's just there's not a lot of depth. There's not much at the upper levels, even though they won the Double A uh, Eastern League title at Altoona. Still not a, more good players. No no real prospects that are going to turn things around. And when they guys Pittsburgh. away, they're awful. They have not really gotten guys that you say, okay, that's a cornerstone guy that they're going to build. I agree. Now, they've done a better job with amateur scouting than they have with professional scouting. Actually, the professional scouting department's one of the problems. Uh, just because they haven't gotten a whole lot in trades, really question, as we did last month during the winter meetings, I questioned Josh Rodriguez in the Rule 5 draft. I mean, I just – Yeah, that, that was – I mean, You're not going to find a ton of impact in the Rule 5, but that, they didn't find any impact. Right. That, that's the guy that they you're like, try. okay, if it all works out, unless they're seeing something that no one else that we're talking to is seeing, there's not going to be an impact there. You're, I you're, agree. Your, your, your hope is, is that, yeah, okay, he could be a good, a solid utility infielder. Pretty much. That, that's mean, your hope. That's, that's the, your hope. That's the everything worked out I right. I bet you he would have been around on their first pick in the second round. Is what I'm saying. The Rule Five, but that's a whole other. I mean, we're spending. We've already talked too much about the Rule Five draft. So, but okay. The, so now the, we're the, down the, to the Reds and the Cubs. Those are the two which, best farm systems and the most intriguing. And uh, I can see debates both ways on this. And I've, you know, I, I, I would, looking at the 30s, I'm going to say Reds, but I do probably like the top three in the Cubs system. Is you know. Matches up very well with the Reds' top three. Um, I just think that once you get past that, like when you look at, okay, comparing like four, five, six is Hawk Julie, Josh Vitters, Chris Carpenter, compared to Devin Mezzarocco, Yonder Alonso, Jorman Rodriguez, you know, Chris and Yasmani Grandal. I would rather have the Reds of that because. Completely agree. I'm you know, with you on that. I, I would take the Cubs' top three over the Reds' top three, but it's close. I'm not 100% a believer in Devin Mesrocco as much of a good year as he had. I've only seen him play twice, and both times he was – well, three games, and all three times he was horrible. I mean, you know, I, nothing, yeah, no yeah, offense, yeah. but he just was horrible. I mean, I, I haven't seen him receive the ball cleanly. Right, and that, was a, and that was de- a definite problem for him late in the season. I mean, there's yeah, no way that – that's when I saw him. I saw him know, in September and then in, no, in November this. in the fall league. You know, I, I've talked to scouts who say, yeah, but you know what, don't – I mean – Saw him earlier in the season. His receiving was fine. He'll be okay. But, but that is something you have to. Catch you have to get, 130 yeah. games in the major leagues. You, know, you do have to be. You know, you do have to. That's at least something you have to file away in your head. And the other thing you have to file away from Mesrocco. Look, based entire like if you're looking at his 2010 season was as good a season as pretty much anyone in the minor leagues had. If he'd had like just something successful in the, the previously, he would have been in the mix for minor league player of the year. 
It just it almost seems like his year just came out so much out of nowhere. And, uh, and and to say this, it's not it's coming out of nowhere from the fact of what he had produced before. Right. It's not well, coming out of nowhere. He was rounder. a first round pick, right. and he was not a shocking first round pick. He was a consensus first round talent yeah. who went in the first round. Right. Absolutely. But it was like it was so way beyond anything. He he never slugged over 400 before right. this season. He That's slugged it. over 600 this year. That's it. But the the again, it's close. Like if you said Aroldis Chapman versus Chris Archer. I'm taking Chapman. I'm taking Chapman, although, you know, the thing with Chapman, the interesting thing, got a lot of questions in the chat about this. He, you know, Walt Jockey's come out and said, Aroldis Chapman is going to be a reliever this year. Yeah. You know, that, which, see, you know, and fans understandably are looking at that going, but he's got the potential as a starter and all that. Right. Here's the reality of it. They have, right now, going into spring training, they have six starters who started 12 or more games for them last year. Right with ERAs under 4.5, who they have to sort out to pick five. Right now, I mean, my best guess is Mike Leake's going to be pitching out of the pen or pitching in AAA at the start of the year. That's just shocking and, to me after and Mike, the kind of start he had last year. Right, and that's nothing against Mike Leake. That's not like, yeah. oh, they're tired, they don't like Mike Leake anymore. It's just, well, Travis Wood came up in the second half season, and Travis Wood was even better was in the awesome. second half yeah. than Mike Leake was in the first Absolutely. half. Absolutely. Well, and that he's being, left-handed, which they can use. That being said... Your choices are either you send Chapman back to the minors to start, or you put him in your pen. And they just lost Arthur Rhodes. Right. Development matters a lot, but the reality of it is, is that the major league club has a vote. Yeah, absolutely. And Dusty yeah, Baker's just, not saying, okay, well, yeah, we'll see him again in September. I mean, didn't they just sign uh, Edgar Renteria? The reports are they signed Edgar Renteria. That's not a move for the future. No, that's a move for 2011. But so I, agree I, I with will you. say, I, from what I understand, this does not preclude. That in 2012 spring training, they may not say, here, let's put you back right. in the mound as a starter. Or, you know, it doesn't say he, the door is closed for does Chapman your, to ever start. Does your gut say that Chapman could be, can be a starter? Just put him in a yeah. vacuum that he can start oh, and yeah. be an effective starter? The problem is is that I think it's the same thing. Like, it, it's somewhat similar. I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. because Who would you the, compare him to as a starting pitcher, as a major league starting pitcher? I mean, the the only guy, the guy who always gets comp to, because it's a, there's right. even though you know, Randy Johnson is five inches taller. Right, right. But the At only guy, it's, yeah, Chapman's five six or six, six. yeah, yeah, because yeah, Chapman's six foot four, so okay, so seven, seven, yeah, because six, six, six ten, six eleven, yeah, but but and that's because you know, hard, hard, hard throwing lefty, uh, with you know, with two nasty pitches right. and. At that point, I mean that you can. He's like a harder throwing John Candelaria, or you know. But well, although Candy had like six pitches, didn't he? You know. I think so, but he had the lower. He also had six pitches that he could put in his hand at one time. But but the thing with Chapman though is is that the the problem you're going to run into is we've seen this with Naftali Feliz. We may see this in in in, with the White Sox too with uh, uh, Chris Chris Sale. Sale. If you have success as a reliever, that you know. He and Chapman has shown, okay, he can probably have success as a reliever right now. It's really hard to stop things yeah. and say, you know what, we're gonna take it slow. Especially when your team is good, right? Like the Reds. The Reds are a playoff contender for next year. They have to be. They won the division last year, and they're bringing back essentially the same team. I think they're still the favorites in that division. For me, right. the, so, I don't think the Cardinals have gotten better this off season. In fact, I think they've gone backwards. And Milwaukee's made a obviously a big step forward, getting grinded. But they had needed a big step forward. They did. They were 15th in the National League. And, the, and the thing about that for the Reds is, is that the Reds won that division last year, and I think we all agree. They won that about a year before. Yeah. I think the general feeling was, you look at all the young talent they had, hey, 2011, they should be really good. Well, they won it last year. Yeah. So what's going to happen now is it's Jay like... Jay Bruce still hasn't had his big year yet. Right. If it's Jay coming. Bruce has his big year it's coming. this year, and Joey Votto just comes close to what he did last yeah. year, then you've got... an ins- you know, you've got an insane middle of your lineup. And the, of course, the other big issue for them it seems to be, you've got to keep uh, Scott Rowland healthy. Right, and I th- I like the way that uh, that Dusty Baker always talks about it is, you know, Scott Rowland's going to play 120 games, and that's a smart approach. And the thing I that hope that Todd Frazier is his backup. Uh, and the thing that the thing that I'll say is, is when you look at their top 10, you look at their top 15. Not all these guys are going to be Cincinnati Reds at the end right. of this year. I feel confident saying that Good point. because what's going to happen, or what you, you'll be shocked if it didn't happen, is when you get to June, July. Yonder Alon, they, I mean, like they have these are t- we're talking. I'm just going to list big league ready guys, like yeah. guys who have had a full year pretty much in AAA. This is why I think the Reds 
Farms is a little bit better than the Cubs. Is also that the, the the top of the Cubs list is better, but the Reds have a little bit better depth, and especially at the top levels, they have more big league ready talent. Yonder Alonso, yep. Juan Francisco, Zach Cozart, Todd Frazier, Matt Maloney, Sam Lecure. And look, Maloney and Lecure do not qualify anymore. They just they just edged over the. Okay. I mean, Lecure does. I'm sorry, Lecure does, but Maloney doesn't. But those guys, they could trade. All of those guys away. And you could argue that none of those is a true elite player. Alonso's right. the closest to that. Right. But they could trade every single one of those guys away and not impact their big league club in any way, shape, or form because none of those guys are projected you know, right now to start for them. Cozart would be the closest. He's got a chance to, to take it from Paul Janish, but more likely he's going to be a triple-A because <laughs> right. Edgar Renteria is going to be there too. Right. But so they can trade all those guys away to bring in whatever piece they need and that's not even counting, by the way, they've, you know, Dave Sapel, Chris Heisey, you know, those yeah, guys who, like, they could trade Chris Heisey in a deal. Hey, we need, a, you know, we need a leadoff hitter. And Chris Heisey essentially at this point is, you know, is a useful big leaguer. Yeah, so I agree. Now they've got, it's a, it's a nice luxury to have. They have a lot of big league ready talent, and a lot of those guys are spare parts for and, them. And the thing that they have that I'll be interested to see what goes on this year is beyond that 10, then, I mean, they've got a lot of kind of a little bit lower ceiling but ready-to-play big leaguer guys at the upper levels. Then there's this gap. But yeah. then they have what's going to be that Dayton club yeah. is a lot of high-ceiling guys. Their rookie we, ball team was interesting this year. Right. They're, they're two rookie ball clubs. You know, Billy, Billy Hamilton, Hamilton who's one of the most exciting guys in the big league. I, I think you're absolutely right. You pegged Billy Hamilton in your chat about it as a guy who you could just see exploding in 2011 and being a guy who steals like 90 bases and – People are like, who is this guy? Where did this come from? Billy Hamilton's a great pick there, I think. So just so that's he has the tools, the speed, and the slashing hitting ability the, the to speed, explode in 2011. And the, the thing about he, what he has is, is there's guys out there. I mean, every organization, or almost every organization. Well, you do, you do the Royals, so you know about yeah, all these guys. Every organization. <laughs> you know, the Royals could line up you know, seven guys who have 80 speed. That's right. But the thing about it is, is Billy Hamilton has 80 speed and the baseball acumen to go with it. That would only be good if, ba- if Baseball America somehow could put together the v- minor league version of the superstars. Yes. But the Royals win the sprinting events again. But but Billy Hamilton. Who'd win tug-of-war? Someone will sign Calvin Pickering just no, for tug-of-war. I was going to say, Juan Francisco, you would you want him on your <laughs> That's team. That's pretty good, absolutely. You want your team on your team in, in, in tug-of-war. Why not? But uh, on the Cubs, you know, this Cubs list also, though, it, the thing about it is, is if we were ranking this a year from now, the Cubs list, we could flip on this as far as just looking at these current top tens because they have some guys who are a little further away. Yeah, they do. You know, the Cubs list is pretty interesting. Obviously, Jim Cowell is not here to speak for his Cubs list. Um, you know, uh, Hayden the, Simpson, number eight, is a guy that jumps out to me. Like, well, we, Matt I mean, Caesar, number seven. Yeah. Uh, Matt Caesar ranking ahead of Hayden Simpson, which Simpson wasn't a Simpson, eh? Simpson, Simpson was, was a, not a consensus. Uh, he was a you know, he was he was a consensus third to fifth yes. rounder. <laughs> he was not a consensus first rounder. Um, the story of how they took him is awesome. But Matt Caesar also not a consensus uh, high draft pick, a football player, and uh, just was playing dynamic. in the, uh, the one double FCS, playoffs. That's right. Yeah. I mean, he's a, but he is so dyna- He has such dynamic tools. Um, you know, I like Chris Carpenter. Uh, he might be in the bullpen. To me, it's amazing that the Cubs had the biggest payroll and the biggest budget in this division. Um, and yet they need their farm system the most because I have a feeling that – and they have new ownership the last couple of years of the Ricketts. They have a longtime general manager in Jim Hendry who has this foot in player development but also has the Soriano contract you talked about, the Carlos Zambrano contract, a lot of bad contracts that he has doled out in Chicago that really restrict him in what he can do in the offseason. And he really needs – some of these guys that come through, he needs Brett Jackson and Chris Archer to be contributors in 2011 or 2012. He needs, whether it's Darwin Barney or Hawk Julie or someone else to come up with Starlin Castro, who they rushed last year. Which, but he's already the best uh, shortstop in, the, in El Central. But they, they need those guys to come up because no one's going to take their Soriano. No one's going to take right. Zambrano off their off their hands. And uh, the other bad you know, Ryan Dempster makes a lot of money. So they need... Trey McNutt and Chris Archer to come through. It's pretty amazing that the, the situation they, they need their farm system but more than most high profile, high payroll teams do. The, the best way to put this is, is in this division, the Cubs should be dominant because yeah. they happen to be in a division where that is largely filled with small, what are considered now small revenue or mid revenue teams. They are the biggest market by a lot. And you know, 
St. Louis. Well, I guess Houston, but 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 Houston is not can, you know, and Houston spent some money too in right. crazy ways too. <laughs> That's but, right. But like like if the Reds, if the Reds had ten more million dollars of payroll room. Yeah, I'd make a big difference. They'd have Zach Greinke. I, I think that yeah, I think that if they had ten more million in room, I think that they matched up pretty well. They could have gone to the Royals and said, "We'll take your Lorenzo Cain and we'll, ma- we'll we'll see your Lorenzo Cain or raise you a Drew Stubbs." Right. They could have say that they could have in that said, "Hey, you know what? You want middle infield? You want middle talent? We want catcher? Okay, you pick Devin Mesoraco, Yasmani Grandal. You want pitching to go with this? Right. You know what? See what Mike Leak did last year? Well, you know exactly. You pick Mike Leak or Travis Wood. Right. You know they could do things like that. Which hey, if you have to give up Travis Wood, but you get Zach Reinke, you, you, you do that. You do you know, it. But the thing about it is, is that that's not really an option for the Reds because they were already at, you know, they went into the offseason going, okay, we've got this, we've got a very little bit of payroll room. That's why they don't have Arthur Rhodes anymore, right. among other reasons. Right. They, and that, they wanted mean, him. And, and what they're talking about is, is, you know, they were hoping to get Arthur Rhodes at like three, four mil. And, and this year that's not, you know. Not happening. And then once that happens, like, hey, we've got money to now go out and sign Edgar Renteria. Well, you're shopping the bargain bin when, when your money <laughs> yeah. that comes open is, is you can get Edgar Renteria at this point. At least uh, it's a good thing for baseball when Edgar Renteria. No offense to Edgar Renteria, but he's no longer commanding $11 million contracts. Or he's signed some pretty big contracts the last few years of his career. But uh, no, I agree. I think I think I agree with you. I think I'll give the Reds a slight edge over the Cubs. But those are the two best farm systems, farm systems in the division by a lot. I know we need to wrap this up, but I just want to say, you know, like we'll have coming up on the website and in the magazine this story for this issue about the, the other thing that jumps out with the Reds is is that oh, yeah, pitching. They're producing pitching now. Which yeah, has not happened since the days of Mario Soto. I was there for Brett Tomko's first professional start. He was a Charleston uh, Alley Cat, I believe. Was that what the West Virginia team yeah, was doing yeah. by at that time? And they played in Hickory in the South Atlantic League. And uh, second round out of Florida Southern, the Mocs, played for the legendary and, and late coach Chuck Anderson down there. And until Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey came up, that was the last starter that the Reds drafted and produced. And again, they traded him for good reason. They traded him for King Griffey. Uh, that's how they. That's how he left town. So, that was worthwhile. But uh, the next podcast, JJ, will actually be our first off-season college baseball podcast, reunited, and it feels so good. Uh, Aaron Fit. I'm not with Aaron in uh, Nashville this weekend, um, but Aaron's at the ABCA co- coaches convention. So next week, Aaron and I going to hook up either on Skype or Google Chat or whatever, and we'll do a college baseball podcast. Uh, it might even be on a Monday. Who knows? Hey. But we will uh, talk about this college offseason, uh, the Cal baseball decision to drop, uh, drop baseball, and the resulting transfer of Eric Jaffe to uh, UCLA, which is a big deal. Uh, recruiting rankings are up for that if you want to talk about that. We'll talk about Arizona State's uh, suspension, and then we'll talk about these potential rules changes. We have the postseason that could change after 2011, uh, postseason format, and, of course, bats, uh, which, which is, is gonna so be, exciting. I, mean, I was going to say, 2011 is going to be a fascinating year to watch college baseball. There's a lot going on, and we will then uh, that'll build us up toward the 2011 season. A little housekeeping in the off season for 2010. Yeah, you got to tidy everything up for the off season before we dive Absolutely. into previews. Absolutely, now. but we'll have an off season college podcast next week, and then in a month, the college preview issues here, and that will be another. Uh, we'll kick off another year college podcast. Off. Absolutely. So, so look to that, and if you have questions for the college side, you can send those to us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Thanks again to MLB Network for sponsoring the Baseball America podcast. And thanks to J.J. Cooper for co-hosting here with me, John Manuel, on the Baseball America podcast. Until next week, we'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.